Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes, 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat. It is good to be back after a week hiatus. We are back in the mix. We're going to continue our team previews today. We're going to have two doubleheader. First, mm-hmm. we will preview the Texans, and then we will move to the Saints. So we're going to preview the Week 3 matchup for the Giants, followed by the Week 4 matchup. And these are two teams, one of which made the playoffs. That was the New Orleans Saints. They had a bounce-back season, made a lot of improvements on the the defensive side of the ball specifically last year. The Texans, on the other hand, the big storyline for them, Paul, is they were very much in the hunt. Deshaun Watson took the league by storm. He goes down with a torn ACL. Completely different story in the second half of the season. Well, between injuries to Watson last year and the last couple of years to uh, T.J. Watt, uh, J.J. J.J. Watt, Watt, his brother. J.J. Yep. Watt. <laughs> well, good for Got his two brother. Watts he he didn't get now. hurt. His brother yes. played for the Steelers. Uh, you know, between those two guys, we're talking about – two of the game's highest-profile superstars, even though Watson's younger. Uh, And to lose those guys for extended periods of time, as the Texans have, I mean, that just throws a huge wrench into what you're trying to do. So, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, folks. I really don't know how good the Texans are. I really don't. I I don't know what to expect from them. You don't know if these superstars will stay healthy. If they do, how good are they going to be? And we're talking about not just key parts. We're talking about mega parts to the success of this team. These two guys, I mean, they they have the keys to the success of the Texans. And if they can't be what they're supposed to be, this team will fall short. They do have Jadevian Clowney, though, who's another electric pass rusher. Their secondary has had a mix of youth and veteran guys. I still think they're trying to work out the kinks there. But I agree with you. You're talking about two players. One was so integral on offense. The other one was key critical piece of the defense and I think it's been well documented Paul this is not the first season in which Watts got hurt no when he has fallen down and they have not had his services defense is completely different you're talking about you know certainly J.J. Watt who when he's healthy you know he's a perennial candidate for defensive player of the year without question and some people think the way Deshaun Watson started out last season that he might have been a candidate for Offensive Player of the Year or MVP, the way he was playing at the time he got hurt. So you, you can't minimize those injuries or those uh, values, those player values, in any way, shape, or form. Well, it will be interesting to see how early the Texans click because I think a big part of the storyline for Houston, as you noted, is going to be Deshaun Watson's health. And if he gets back to full form during the course of training camp, he's ready to go week one. I don't think it would be a stunner to see Houston get back to the level of play that it showed in early 2017 because Watson, like the Russell Wilsons of the world, like the Cam Newtons of the world, are mobile quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. So you have to account for their strong arms down the field, which he certainly showcased. I mean, I remember... Remember the Texans went into Seattle last season in the first half, and you know everybody's like the Legion of Boom. How's he going <laughs> to handle that? And he carved them up as if they were a mediocre defense. That was almost Deshaun Watson's coming out party. It was an offensive clinic in that game. You had both defenses give up a lot of points, but you know Watson made quite a statement. Then unfortunately he got hurt right after that. But getting back to the point, given the fact that he's a dual threat. It puts the strain on the opposing defenses. You have to be concerned about what Watson could do on the ground as well as what he could do with his arm. However, when we've seen quarterbacks get hurt from a mobility standpoint, sometimes it's a transitional phase in their careers. They have to say to themselves, do I want to continue to be aggressive 
or do I want to show more balance in my game? And more often than not, do I want to say to myself, hey, I've got to throw the ball away. I've got to run out of bounds as opposed to try to get the additional yardage on the ground. And I'm sure Bill O'Brien, the head coach of the Texans, one of the things they're going over with Deshaun Watson this offseason mm-hmm. is, hey, you have to realize you're extremely valuable to our franchise. You already got hurt <laughs> your rookie year. Yeah. You've got to now yeah. start to decide, is it worth getting the first down or is it worth, you know what, taking the seven yards and running out of play? Uh, go and watch some old tapes of RG3 and learn from there those. There you go. How Big about up. that? Perfect example. And when he was hurt, all of a sudden, the Redskins had no one to turn to. And, I mean, you don't want to take it so far, but RG3's career also was cut short as a result of that decision-making. No question. So no question. You don't Dave, want to you see got that the right number going with Deshaun now. Watson with respect to his ability and his game-changing ability. I know it's a small sample size, but I think – most scouts in the league would tell you and most defenses in the AFC South that they didn't necessarily miss him when he was injured because <laughs> of the damage he did. And that's what the Giants will have to anticipate in the early stages of this season when they go up against Houston. It's going to be a good early test, I think, for the Giants defense, assuming Watson is fully healthy. Well, they tried to protect themselves, and I say tried, by going out and getting Brandon Whedon to be their number yeah, two quarterback in case he should go down again uh savage did not work out well for them at all and i feel bad actually i thought a pit savage showed some promise just didn't work out and he's going to the saints by the way which will be the second team we'll preview a lot of connections (laughs) between both of these squads in terms of players switching teams but you hit on a key point and we'll discuss that with our next guest in terms of the importance of the backup quarterback Mm -hmm. position in Houston because of some of the injuries that they've dealt with, not sure. just under center, but the injuries that they've dealt with also on the defensive side of things. And speaking of the Houston Texans, we're now going to get into more detail on this team and what type of challenges they'll present for the Giants in week three. We are now joined by Rich Lord. He is an afternoon host on Sports Radio 610 KILT in Houston, and he is here to help us break down the Texans. Rich, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here on Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live. How's everything? Appreciate the time. Uh, great to be with you guys. Can't wait for the season to start. We're 16 days away from heading up to the Greenbrier in West Virginia to cover Texans camp. Can't wait. And why are they going to West Virginia? Most of these teams are starting to do home bases for their training camps now. Why are the Texans one of those holdouts that still wants to go somewhere else? You clearly have not been to Houston in July. It's pretty oppressive down here in July. I really think it's pretty simple. A couple of weeks away from the heat, plain and simple. Uh, that's not a bad reason. Rich, uh, why don't we just start off by getting an off-season injury report from you. We were just talking about Deshaun Watson a few minutes ago. and uh, You know, obviously that was one of the most devastating injuries of many that the NFL suffered last year, one of the true superstars who had to go on the shelf because of the knee. There's no doubt. And, guys, that's pretty much the theme heading into this camp with the Texans. There are five players who are five of their most premier, valuable players coming off surgery and how well these guys come off their surgical procedures and recover and perform for their this team is going to be a huge factor uh, in whether or not they can get back to where they were in Bill O'Brien's first few seasons, and that was, of course, a playoff contender. Watson, all the news we're hearing on Watson is good. We had Bill O'Brien on our show a week or so back, and he raved about not only 
physically how far he's come since the knee injury, but mentally the kind of work he's put in uh, to allow he and Watson to kind of get on the same page because uh, O'Brien is not just the head coach, he's the offensive play caller as well. But you go from Watson to a second-year running back out of Texas named Deontay Foreman, who officially was Lamar Miller's backup last year, but toward the end of the season, before he suffered a pretty serious Achilles injury, was really emerging as a force uh, for this offense. And then on defense, arguably their three best defensive players are coming off season-ending surgery. Of course, you start with J.J. Watt, mm-hmm. uh, you continue with Jadeveon Clowney, and then Whitney Merciless as well. Uh, all three of them, except for uh, Clowney, have been double-digit sack guys for this team. So the health of this team really is what it's all about at this point. Well, and that also puts additional pressure, Rich, on the depth chart because most teams who suffer injuries like that, it makes or breaks their season depending on whether or not the guys could step up. And the Giants were in the same boat last season, suffered multiple injuries. The depth chart was tested. It wasn't enough. And you look at the quarterback position. Last year they turned to Tom Savage, TJ Yates. Team goes 1-8. and eight. Without Deshaun Watson under center, they bring in Brandon Whedon this season. What is your feeling on how this quarterback depth chart looks like this season in the event that Deshaun Watson can't get through all 16 games? Yeah, it's uh, it's a little dicey. And let's face it, you know, Watson is coming off his second ACL tear. People forget he tore the other ACL Mm -hmm. uh, his junior year or sophomore or junior year. Not too clear on that, but at Clemson. Uh, although he came back from that much sooner than expected uh, for the Tigers and never had a problem with it moving forward. So there's a lot of optimism about Watson. But, yeah, there's no question. There's a huge drop-off to Brandon Whedon, although he is a guy with experience in the system, experience with O'Brien. Um, and, you know, I know he's a former first-round draft pick of the Browns who never really panned out to live up to that first-round status. But he's capable. I mean, it's a big drop-off, but he's capable. After that is where uh, you really have to have some concern because Joe Webb right now is officially the third-string quarterback on this team. Um, The Texans over the last few years, I'm sure you guys know before the arrival of Deshaun Watson, it's been a – you know, musical chairs, if you want to call it that, of quarterbacks. I mean, I think Bill O'Brien has had eight or nine of them start games in his first three or four years at the helm. So we're kind of knocking on wood here in Houston that Deshaun Watson's going to provide some stability. And look, guys, we're talking about a 60-year history of pro football in this town, dating back to the Oilers and the AFL. And franchise quarterbacks, few and far between. I mean, Warren Moon did go to the Hall of Fame uh, Dan Pastorini had a couple of good years, but we, we don't we don't have franchise quarterbacks in Houston. This feels like it's the guy. Let me ask you this again, Rich Lord from KILT uh, Radio in Houston, joining us to talk about the Texans. They'll be playing the Giants, by the way, third game of the regular season. The reason we are previewing uh, the Texans in today's program. Uh, let, let me ask you this, Rich. You mentioned a moment ago about the quarterback issues that the franchise and the city has had for a long time. There are those who think that Bill O'Brien was kind of on thin ice at the end of last year. Now, again, he lost some superstar players. And the optimist would say, hey, you know, he's a good coach. He knows football. He's a good communicator. Uh, He's been victimized by some really rough circumstances. And obviously, he's getting another chance this year. The pessimist would say, somehow, someway, you got to overcome all these things. And he hasn't nearly done enough. And this is a do-or-die year for him. How do you look at it? How do you think his players look at it? 
Well, he's not only getting another chance, he signed a five-year extension to continue coaching this team, and it's been pretty well documented, I think, that through his first four seasons here in Houston, he and his general manager, Rick Smith, did not see eye-to-eye on a lot of uh, personnel issues and uh, philosophical kind of football issues and how to build a football team in in O'Brien's image, and although they were both very professional about it publicly, it was pretty well documented that they were not on the same page. Well, Rick took a leave of absence. That's officially what it's being called after last season, and there was a press conference announcing that, and he also announced at that press conference that his wife is dealing with breast cancer, and that's the reason he's stepping away. He emphasized that it's it's not a resignation, it's a leave of absence, but they brought in Brian Gain who was previously in this front office and really clicked with Bill O'Brien. And it feels like they've got a real chemistry between the two of them, kind of a shared vision on how to move forward. And they've both been given long-term deals. So Rick Smith may be back in some capacity at some point with this franchise, but he's not going to be the general manager uh, if and when he does return. And O'Brien and Brian Gain moving forward feel like a much better pairing of, of head coach and general manager uh, for this franchise. So, honestly, anyone who thought Bill O'Brien was on thin ice after 4-12 and 12 last year um, was not inside that building because okay. the, the confidence in Bill O'Brien is actually a pretty amazing thing. His players rave about him. And although he's not, he's not perfect, he's still got some game management issues that he's got to overcome. By and large, he's done a pretty good job. I mean, he inherited that 2-14 and 14 disaster uh, after the 2013 season. And even though 9-7 and seven for three straight years is not blowing anybody out of the water, you know, two of those years were playoff years, and it felt like there was some progress being made. So it's almost as if 2017 was a mulligan, and you, you nailed the reason why. They were devastated by injuries. No team in the NFL had more players on injured reserve than the Texans in 2017. And as you also noted, Rich, he has not had much stability under center, and you don't give a head coach a quarterback. <laughs> it's going to be very difficult to maintain continuity and consistency with the franchise. You brought up Brian Gain, and he came over from the Bills franchise, and you know, one of the trends I noticed this offseason was the Texans decided to address their offensive line because obviously that was a major issue for them. So they bring in two new guards, and they also bring in a tackle, Chantrell Henderson, who came over from Buffalo. I don't think that's a surprise given his ties to Gain. What do you make of the moves they made on the offensive line? Is that enough to overcome some of the losses of the personnel that they've endured over the last few seasons? You know, guys, the only direction this O-line can go is up. It was the hand... <laughs> It was the hands-down worst O-line in the league last year, which, which is what makes the uh, six-and-a-half game stretch with Deshaun Watson at the helm all the more remarkable. Worst O-line in the league, and his last five games before he went down with the knee injury, they were averaging a league-leading 39 points per game. And I don't know if you recall the road games at Seattle and New England, but he almost pulled it off in both of those games. But as far as the O-line is concerned, four new starters, and the only returning starter is a third-year center by the name of Nick Martin out of Notre Dame who missed his entire rookie season due to injury and had his second year in 2017 cut short with an ankle injury. So he's the returning starter, although kind of on shaky ground. And, yeah, you mentioned some of the guys. They drafted a kid named Julian Davenport last year that they think – 
can step in at left tackle. The guards you referenced, Zach Fulton from Kansas City, uh, Calamente from New Orleans, and Chantrell Henderson uh, from Buffalo. Yeah, a completely revamped O-line, and honestly, it looks good, but the expectations were a little higher uh, going into the off season, as far as rebuilding this thing, to be honest with you, a lot of people down here were really were really hoping uh, that the guy you got from New England was going to choose Houston. I know there were a lot of reasons why he chose New York instead of Houston, uh, but that was uh, that was a, a, a name that a lot I think a lot of Texans fans had their sights set on at left tackle. So. Honestly, a lot of unproven guys, once again, and they've really swung and missed pretty spectacularly over the last few years in the offensive line. Jeff Allen from Kansas City has been a fat failure. Uh, they drafted a kid from UCLA. Um, my gosh, I'm, I'm, my memory is, fa- is, is, is failing me at the moment, but uh, they have just swung and missed on draft picks and free agents in the O-line repeatedly. And honestly, with a commodity like Deshaun Watson at quarterback, you can't afford to do that. You're going to put this guy at risk at some point, and it's going to come back to bite you in the butt. Rich, one of the things I noticed when I did a quick check on on last year's stats, and again, we've mentioned injuries already five times, I think, in this short conversation. Uh, But you look at that defense and you say, my goodness, they gave up a lot of yards through the air. That secondary had a lot of trouble. Well, they didn't get pass rush when J.J. Watt's out of the lineup, and they had some of the other guys get hurt. Is is a healthy front seven all that this defense needs to become a, I don't know, a 500 or a better caliber type of defense? Or do they still have a bunch of holes that have to be addressed? It really goes back to the health question because I think you hit on the key. Uh, it was a bad year for the back end, but that had a lot to do with no J.J. Watt, uh, a less than 100% healthy Jadeveon Clowney, and no Whitney Merciless. I mean, those are your three primary pass rushers on this defense, and two of them were out for the season very early, and one was hobbled. So, yeah, that had a lot to do with it. And I think D.J. Reader, uh, their other starter up front at nose tackle, is a pretty underrated player, former teammate of Watson's, at Clemson. At linebacker, Bernardrick McKinney is the new captain. He takes over the Brian Cushing role. And they've got a couple of young athletic backups. Or, well, not backups. Zach Cunningham's the other starter. Dylan Cole is the backup. There's a lot of potential in that front seven. No question about it. But if they return to health, can pressure the quarterback, it's going to help the back end a lot. And the back end is kind of intriguing because they're moving a kid, uh, not a kid, Kareem Jackson was their first round pick in 2010. He's been a uh, pretty much a, uh, a stalwart at uh, cornerback. They're moving him to safety. They drafted uh, another safety named Justin Reed. And, of course, their biggest signing of the offseason was the Honey Badger, yeah. Tyron Matthew yeah. from Arizona. He brings a lot of excitement and a lot of potential to the table. Well, and another name that they added to me that's somewhat intriguing is Aaron Colvin, the slot corner from the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Jaguars had a great season. Mm -hmm. You saw that firsthand, Rich, I'm sure, from playing in the division. Where do they plan to put him? I know there's some chatter that maybe they can move another corner to safety depending on where they feel Colvin will thrive. What do you think he will do for the back end? I think Colvin is excited about the opportunity to spend a little time on the outside. He was pretty strictly a, 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 a slot corner last year, having Jalen Ramsey and uh, A.J. Boye as his uh, teammates in Jacksonville. I think they're going to move him around. I think he could wind up starting on the outside, even though he was a fantastic slot corner 
for the Jags last year. Uh, Kareem Jackson is moving from corner to safety. I mentioned that. They were dealt a blow very recently with their starting free safety, Andre Howe, who was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, and he's expected to miss the season recovering from that. They're probably leaning a lot on their third-round draft pick, Justin Reed, and leaning a lot on Tyron Matthews' mentorship. And, and to me, that's still something that, you know, when you talk about Matthew as a leader, as a mentor, as setting an example for this team, I know you guys remember his problems at LSU. Mm-hmm. And five six, years, five, six years ago, if we had had this conversation about Tyron Matthew, uh, we, I don't think we would have been talking about him as the, the player and the influence he can be uh, on this team. And you're right, um, my bad leaving out Colvin because he was a big pickup as well. I think this defense, I mean, as I mentioned, we had O'Brien on our show a couple of weeks ago, and he and he's not a guy who you know gets into a lot of hyperbole. He was raving about the potential of this defense. He used the word dominant as the potential for what he thinks they can do on that side of the football. Well, let me reiterate, Rich, that it's going to be week three when the Giants play the Texans. Are you curious as to what kind of team the Texans will be coming out of training camp? Do you think it's going to take them a month or two to get their sea legs? Or do you feel as though this team is going to be able to hit the ground running right at the start and, and the Giants will be facing a formidable foe when they head down there? You know, it really does depend on how quickly these guys bounce back from injuries. And the differing differing reports we're hearing on these really central players that are recovering from serious injuries um, at the top of the list is Watson. And as I mentioned, he all the reports are that he's going to be ready to go uh, you know, they open up, of course, at New England and then the Giants in week three. So they've got a pretty tough opening schedule. I'm not sure they're going to be uh, at, uh, you know, the height of their powers by week three. It may take a little time, especially with the serious nature of some of these injuries. However, w- one thing they do have going for them is even though they lost their defensive coordinator, Mike Vrabel, the new head coach of the Titans, mm-hmm. you talk about a plug-and-play guy. To have Romeo Cornell available <laughs> as the assistant head coach to take over once again running the defense. And, of yeah. course, two years ago in 2016, when he last ran the defense, they had the number one defense in the NFL. So I think they feel pretty good uh, heading into the season about their chances to really turn this thing around. Romeo is an old war horse from yeah. our many, many days uh, years ago under Parcells here in East Rutherford. Always love Romeo. That's a nice security blanket. Hey, you don't have to tell me that. I don't know if your producer told you or you guys were even aware, but I'm from Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Ah. I'm a Giants fan. I have to repress that here in Houston. (laughs) Well, Rich, it's always nice to speak to a fellow Brooklynite, I can tell you that. So we we are glad that we we found the one Brooklynite in Houston. I know all about Rack and Belichick and Parcells. Those were the glory days. Oh, you're not kidding. (laughs) You're not kidding one bit. Hey, how did we get through this whole thing without talking about Hopkins once? Well, I was going to get to that. You you took the words right out of my mouth. I I was actually more enamored with the Brooklyn talk. Rich Rich got us off guard here as we're talking with Rich Lord, afternoon host on Sports Radio 610 KILT. And speaking of the receiving core, I'm not so much interested in DeAndre Hopkins, Rich, because I think it's well documented. You pretty much know what you're going to get out of him. I think every year one of the big question marks for the Texans is, you know, who's going to be that other reliable complementary piece? And you look at the roster, you know, Will Fuller's been hurt. You know, he flashed a bit last season, especially when Watson was under center. They drafted Braxton Miller, the former quarterback at Ohio State. 
what do you make of that other wide receiver spot? And are we finally going to get to the year where there's going to be a consistent option opposite DeAndre Hopkins? Yeah, they drafted a kid from Texas Tech named Kiki Cutie, and he's got real potential, very explosive player in the slot uh, receiver position. They've really never had a top-flight slot receiver, um, especially in the last few years. So I, I think there's a lot of excitement about him. But you mentioned Will Fuller, and you hit on the key uh, again. It's all about him staying healthy. Yeah. Uh, he did flash. I mean, it was an unbelievable flash. Four games uh, that he played with Deshaun Watson last year, seven touchdown receptions in those four games. He can take the top off the defense. He's got some big-time speed, and Watson has shown a capability to throw the long ball, the deep ball, accurately. Hopkins is amazing. It doesn't matter who you pair this guy with, and believe me, we've had some slappies at quarterback over the last few years, whether it's Brock <laughs> Osweiler or Ryan Mallett. I mean, I could go on and on. There, Tom Savage, there have been some – Real bad quarterbacks uh, get some regular season snaps on this team, and it doesn't seem to matter to DeAndre Hopkins. He finds a way to make it work with whoever he's paired with, and I think he is very excited about moving forward with Deshaun Watson. So the answer is a healthy Will Fuller as far as that other player is concerned because I think when he's been healthy, uh, he's absolutely shown that he's capable of being that guy. As for Braxton Miller, this is a make-or-break year for him. Um, he has not done what they'd hoped he'd achieve in his first couple of seasons. Uh, he's got to show that he belongs this season or the former, I guess, what was he, Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year at quarterback at Ohio State, uh, but a third-round pick here as a receiver in 2016. Uh, his job is not completely safe unless he shows some progress. Well, it'll be an intriguing matchup early in the season. Week three, Giants are going to visit the Texans, part of a back-to-back -back trip to Texas because they will visit the Cowboys the previous week. He is Rich Lord, afternoon host on Sports Radio 610. <laughs> That's a double whammy for that you, That is a double it, whammy Rich? for him, yes. I'm, I'm sorry, that just slipped out. No, no, no worries. Listen, it's understandable. The fan and everybody eventually comes oh, to the surface. Oh, mighty. Stay cool, Rich. Yes, Rich, greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks Thank so much you. for joining us. Enjoyed it, guys. Have fun. All right, you got it. Rich Lord, once again, breaking down what to expect from the Houston Texans. And, you know, I listened to Rich describing the Texans, and it reminds me more and more of what the Giants dealt with in 2017. I'm not trying to make a comparison in terms of the talent level. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm saying you had two teams devastated by the injury bug, and they were just trying to work out with their depth chart ways to overcome it. Two teams who also had no chance to meet their expectations because of those circumstances. Absolutely. You took Deshaun Watson out of the equation, completely different team. You take J.J. Watt out of the equation, completely different defense. And we've talked about the Giants at nauseum all this season, so we certainly don't need to revisit that. So that's a look at the AFC opponent that the Giants are going to visit in Week 3. In a few minutes, we're going to turn our attention to the New Orleans Saints. Mike Triplett of ESPN will be joining us in a few moments. And the Saints... This is a team that is going to be coming to MetLife Stadium. The mm -hmm. reason I emphasize that, Paul, is the Giants don't have a great track record when they go to New Orleans. It's been one offensive clinic after another. You wanted to bring that up? I had to bring that up. You're not a nice man. I know I'm not a nice man. We are pouring salt into <laughs> wounds today on Big Blue Kickoff Live. My goodness, that, that Superdome has been such a house of horrors. I think since the day LT ravaged the Saints <laughs> when he played with that harness on his shoulder, 
it has turned into a nightmarish city for the New York football Giants. So I, for one, am very glad that the Giants don't have to go back there. And when they have come to MetLife, it's been a number of close affairs or the Giants' offense seems to have clicked and has gotten the better of the Saints. So this is going to be another early matchup between the Giants and the Saints as the Saints will visit East Rutherford, New Jersey. And to break down what to expect from New Orleans, we're now joined right here on Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live by Mike Triplett. He covers the Saints for ESPN. Mike, you got Lance Meadow and Paul Dettino. Appreciate the time. How's everything? Great. How are you guys doing? Doing very well. Hey, We're trying to watch the offseason slow down, as I'm sure you are, before we get to the <laughs> nuts and bolts of training camp. But we figured this would be a good time to take a closer look at all of the Giants' upcoming opponents. And when you look at the Saints last year in particular, the one thing that jumped out to me, Mike, was the strides they made on defense. Because when you looked at the Saints in previous years, it was always the Achilles heel of the team. That Drew Brees would be able to put up the points, and then what would the defense do to help the cause? Right. And I know they've suffered some injuries they have some young guys they brought in some veterans what do you make of the defense this season based on some of their offseason moves and how likely is it for them to pick up where they left off last year well you're exactly right that that was the key i mean we've those of us who followed the saints for years have always said if they just had a middle of the road defense they they'd be winning the division and going to the playoffs every year they've had multiple years where they were setting NFL records for, for bad defense and finishing 30th, 31st, 32nd in the league. Um, so last year was an amazing turnaround. There was a good long stretch of about 12 weeks. They had a nine-game winning streak in the middle of last season where they had the number two defense in the league behind only Jacksonville. And uh, I don't know, you know, maybe there'll be a little bit of regression this year, but they did it with a lot of young players who should only continue to get better, including the defensive rookie of the year, Marshawn Lattimore, at cornerback, and that makes such a big difference for them, having a true number one cornerback. That makes such a big difference for every NFL team. Their other corner, second-year pro, Ken Crawley, had a breakout year. Their rookie safety, Marcus Williams, had a breakout year. Cam uh, Jordan has been terrific at defensive end for years, probably had his best season and, and was a first-team All-Pro. Um, and then they went up and drafted another pass rusher uh, with the 13th pick of the draft this year. So uh, they've revamped the linebacking core. So, you know, it, it's not guaranteed top five, top ten defense, but there's a lot of reasons to believe they can sustain that and, and be a really balanced team again. You know, i got to flip the page right back to the offense for a second, though, before we go any further, because there's a question I've been begging to ask you all day, Mike. You know, you hear the people all around the country talk about the older quarterbacks. Oh, Eli Manning, Giants need to get a new franchise quarterback. He's old. He's 37 years old, uh, whatever. He's on his last legs. Ben Roethlisberger, oh, he starts hinting that he might retire, and then he says, no, he's going to come back, and, and he's going to try to give it another go. Then you hear about, oh, what's Philip Rivers going to do? He's another old guy from the same class. Yeah. Nobody ever talks about Drew Brees being old. The guy's 39. <laughs> And they, no one ever, ever mentions his age. And this guy had a significant arm injury years ago. But they never talk about how many bullets are left in that shoulder. Why? <laughs> well, you got. I guess you got to start showing signs of regression before uh, before they talk about it. But no, look, they they have uh, they, that has been a big topic of conversation here, uh, especially around draft time every year. And he actually had a down year a couple years ago where he did battle injuries. 
and uh, people wondered, oh, is this the year they're going to do it? Is this the year they're going to do it? And they were very close um, to uh, just last year um, with the eleventh. Marshawn Lattimore had gone tenth. They would have taken Pat Mahomes at number eleven. Wow! Um, so they were very close to doing it. Uh, but obviously, they're not going to push Breeze out the door. They, you know, they see the value in drafting a quarterback if the value is there. But that quarterback might have to wait four or five years if Breeze continues to play this way. <laughs> and the best thing they're doing for Breeze is, you know, the defense we just talked about. But they've also rebuilt the offensive line, and the run game uh, was fantastic last year. I mean, it, it, two two running backs who both went over fifteen hundred yards from scrimmage, and, and Alan Kamara and Mark Ingram. So Breeze's numbers were pretty incredible last year. It was like a you know his fewest pass attempts, his fewest yards, his fewest touchdowns, his fewest interceptions in his entire 12 years with the Saints, but he set the NFL record for completion percentage because they have allowed him to be really, really efficient in this offense. So that'll keep him going well into his 40s and keep giving him a run game, an offensive line, and a defense. You know what I love about this, Mike? It's almost as if the Saints have established the blueprint for what the Giants need to do because the Giants have had Eli Manning get rid of the ball ultra-quick you know, to to gain a higher efficiency in his passing game. They have now rebuilt the offensive line and the running game this past offseason by acquiring more linemen and by drafting Saquon Barkley. And we all know what the offensive line did for Breeze last year. We all know what Alvin Kamara did for Drew Breeze last year. I, I see a very similar pattern developing here with the Giants this season. Yeah, look, it's not, it's not a bad strategy. Um, and, you know, I think the Saints have quietly done that. Everybody realized the Cowboys did that with their offensive yeah. line with all these first-round draft picks, but the Saints were really stockpiling that, too. It kind of started when they traded Jimmy Graham for Max Unger, who's been a great center for them. They used two first-round picks on offensive linemen and Andrews Pete and Ryan Ramchek. Uh, Teron Armstead's been, been a stud for them. They spent a lot of money on, on Larry Warford, who went to the Pro Bowl in free agency last year. Uh, there is nothing wrong. It's never the sexy, exciting pick for fans when you do that in the draft or, or spend your money that way in free agency. But uh, it's sort of a, a secret to make everybody on an offense look better, especially a quarterback. Well, speaking of the running game and how critical that is for the play of the quarterback, Mark Ingram is suspended in the first quarter of the season, and you said that they did produce a nice one-two punch mic last season, and they both made the Pro Bowl. What are the dynamics going to be like in your mind in terms of workload carries now that Ingram's not in the picture for that first quarter? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Sean Payton has said he doesn't want to just all of a sudden give Kamara 15 more touches a game. He doesn't think that would be smart. He doesn't want to overwork him right away. But obviously, that's a really nice fallback to have. If you're going to lose one Pro Bowl running back for four games, it's nice to have another Pro Bowl running back on the same team. So, uh, And then here's the other thing. They can also rely on the pass, which they've been doing for 11 years in this offense. You know, They could throw it a little more if they're not just going to be a, a ground-and-pound team. So they have so many other options. I mean, I think the idea will be to pair Kamara with another guy who's like a number two and they've got a lot of young candidates for that. They also just signed Terrence West at the end of OTAs to give them a veteran option. But it'll be, you know, if it's not 90% Kamara, it'll be 75% Kamara. And, and then obviously the passing game. So obviously they were better with both of those Pro Bowl running backs last year. And, and 
you know, uh, you're, you're still going to see them without Ingram when the, when they come to New York. But uh, I think they have some nice fallback options, and obviously a pretty creative coach who can probably still manufacture some offense uh, uh, with him missing for a while. You know, Mike, there had been some talk before this past season that maybe Sean Payton had some rough waters to navigate in New Orleans. But then, obviously, uh, things seem to be copacetic. He got his extension. He's all set and safe and secure and moving forward. How close do you think it got to maybe them parting with him? Yeah, I think it got really stale here from from both sides. I think, you know... um, there was a big shift around 2014-2015 where they just sort of had to rebuild this entire thing outside of Drew Brees and Sean Payton. Uh, uh, they've really revamped the roster, started from scratch. You know, they went 7-9 and nine, three years in a row. Maybe his message was getting a little old for some people. Um, and, and, you know, teams go through that. And, and it's pretty impressive the way they've come out on the other end. I mean, there was a little while there where Peyton did listen to other offers. The Saints would have considered trading him to another team, sort of just feeling like, you know, his mentor is Bill Parcells, and Parcells always say, you know, get out of there before they run you out of town and, <laughs> and, and go on to the next thing and keep it fresh. And he really strongly considered that. And, and you know, I think if the right team or the right offer would have come along, maybe the Giants. Um, he would have considered it. But ultimately, the Saints were just going to shove him out the door because you don't just go out and find a better coach than Sean Payton. Uh, it would have had to have been probably a first-round draft pick coming back to them for him or an offer that he said he just couldn't possibly refuse. But he didn't want to go to the Niners, and the Saints didn't want to let him go. Um, and, and they felt like, if we're going to do this rebuilding thing, he's the best guy to lead it. And that's absolutely turned out to be the case. Now, it might not have worked if they hadn't started drafting incredibly well the last two years. I mean, this draft they had this last year with both the offensive and defensive rookie of the year in, in Kamara and Marshawn Lattimore, uh, and they had five starters total come out of last year's draft class. That that was just a remarkable way to, to turn a program around. The year before that, they landed Michael Thomas, the receiver. Mm-hmm. He's a pro bowler already, too. So you can rebuild if you draft that well. <laughs> And you put a lot of weapons around Drew Brees. That's how you allow him to continue to produce well into his 40s. As we're talking with Mike Triplett, who covers the Saints for ESPN. And one other weapon around Drew Brees this season is going to be Benjamin Watson, who I'm sure is a familiar name to you from covering the team because he was with the team two years ago. They parted ways with Kobe Fleener in the offseason. And the tight end position has been a key position for the Saints going back to when Jimmy Graham was there. Watson's up there in age, not necessarily the most dazzling offense of weapon, but the fact that he's familiar with the system and was fairly productive with Baltimore, what do they expect out of him, and do they expect that he's going to fill that need at the tight end position? Yeah, well, that is an area where there's question marks around in this team, is is pass catchers. I mean, as I said earlier, Sean Payton and Drew Brees can manufacture an offense with whoever they have, but outside of Michael Thomas and, and Ted Ginn Jr., they're it's a little bit of a mystery as to who's going to be the big, reliable go-to pass catchers on this team. They actually tried to replace Ben Watson two years ago with Kobe Fleener, and that didn't work out. Uh, and they spent a lot of money on him in free agency, and that didn't work out. They let him go this offseason. So Watson comes back, and he's a nice, solid uh, veteran that they know they can trust, but you don't expect him to light up the scoreboard necessarily. And then uh, they brought in Cameron Meredith from the Chicago Bears, who was a great promising young receiver before he suffered a major knee injury last year. And the Bears let him go, even though he was a restricted free agent because they were concerned about his health. 
So he's a little bit of a mystery. They drafted a guy, Traquan Smith, in the third round. But uh, more than I remember in most years, it's a curiosity to see exactly who's going to be catching all the balls from Drew Brees this year. The Giants will be playing the Saints in week four once again uh, here at the Meadowlands at MetLife Stadium. Uh, New Orleans, of course, we all know, comes off that horrible playoff loss to the Minnesota Vikings last season when Stephon Diggs caught that miracle pass down the sideline. Uh, Mike, i got to ask you, from what you've seen during the course of this offseason, during the spring and during the summer, how much of that still stings? I mean, there are players who will say they can never wash a memory like that out of their brains. There will be other guys who say, I will use it as motivation and it will make me try ten times harder this year, and we will come back and we will rebuild, and and it will make us better and stronger. How do you see it? Yeah, I mean, it's probably more of the latter, uh, more than deflating. The funny thing that that the story arc around this team is that was an incredibly memorable way to lose a playoff game and heartbreaking. But this team and their identity is how they were the young up-and-coming team that burst onto the scene last year that after three straight seven and nine seasons they win the nfc south and and you know come a play away from the nfc championship game the questions are way more like talking to guys like camara and thomas and, and Lattimore about how do you you know how do you live up to your press clippings not rest on your laurels from last year not get to you know Everybody thinks you're great now. You guys had seven Pro Bowlers last year. Everybody's picking you to win the Super Bowl now. How do you how do you combat that? That's sort of more of the storyline with this team rather than a team that is still feeling deflated by that loss. I mean, I feel like, you know, uh, that as heartbreaking as that loss was, it's not like they're this veteran team that just can't seem to get over the hump. They arrived maybe even a year earlier than expected last year. So there's a lot of hope and promise that that was just the – the beginning of things to come, but but obviously, for the veterans that have been around here for a long time, you know, you only get so many bites at the apple, and you know, the Saints have only gone to one Super Bowl in the entire Peyton Breeze era, so they know how much it stings to to miss out on those opportunities. But there's real optimism that that this team is still on the rise even after that loss. Well, Mike, you mentioned even earlier, this is a defense that has a lot of youth and maybe some of these guys did exceed expectations. And like any defense, when you have a young secondary, you hope that the front seven comes to play. And when you look at the nucleus within the front seven, they've added some guys. They've also re-signed players like Alex Okafor, who had a great season before he went down with the season-ending injury. And they drafted Marcus Davenport in round one. Now, I know he, I believe, recently underwent a hand surgery. What are the timeline or timetable for him? in terms of whether or not he's going to be okay for training camp in the season, and what do you make of the nucleus of this front seven this season? Yeah, look, that second defensive end position across from Cameron Jordan is is probably the most important thing to watch uh, with this team in, in the offseason. Alex Okafor is coming off a torn Achilles, and Marcus Davenport is, you know, his hand surgery should be fine. Um pretty early into camp, certainly by the time they have to get into all the contact work and preseason games and everything. Um, so that should be okay, but he's still a raw developmental prospect that played at Texas San Antonio, and, and you know, there's, there's a big learning curve. Um, the comparison that I've made is sort of like Jason Pierre-Paul when he got to the Giants, you know, coming from the small school, drafted right around the same kind of same size and weight, so that's the, that's the ideal scenario for the Saints, but that's the kind of guy he is, so you don't know for sure what you're going to get out of Okafor this year uh, with the injury, and you don't know exactly what you're going to get out of Marcus Davenport being a young player. Uh, so 
if one or both of those guys can have great seasons, look out. This team is just going to be loaded. If they both take a little time to develop, then that becomes a, a concern spot. So it'll be really interesting to see what they are exactly at that position and, and in that front seven by the time they're coming there in late September. You know, along the same lines, in some ways, Cameron Jordan is a very interesting guy when you look at the back of his football card because he's been a starter for all seven years with the Saints and obviously a dominant player when he's right. I mean, if you look at the last six years, he has alternated with double-digit sacks and Pro Bowl seasons. But then in the ensuing year, he goes down to single-digit sacks and is a very pedestrian pass rusher. So he had double digits and a Pro Bowl trip last year. Mike, what's he going to do this season? (laughs) Well, you know what? That's a fair question for you to ask, and I'm glad he finally got his due last year because he really has been consistently great throughout all seven of those years, and he's a guy who the football card doesn't tell the full story. Okay, because his versatility is really one of his strengths. He's a big guy. He probably compares mostly to J.J. Watt and Calais Campbell in the NFL. Those guys who are sort of end slash tackles. He's not an edge rusher guy. They've had him playing at 300 pounds before in this defense. Uh, he's probably a little better when he's closer to 280, 285, but. They've used him inside and outside. He's almost as good of a run defender as he is a pass rusher. He bats down a ton of passes. So his game is a lot more than just the sacks, and it always has been. Uh, But in recent years, they have trimmed him down a little bit and let him focus on rushing the passer a little more, which he's good at. That's where you see those totals come in. But uh, he's played at pretty close to a Pro Bowl level for most of his career. Uh, but unfortunately, with those guys, you, you do need the double-digit sack years to really get recognized for it. Sure. We're talking with Mike Triplett, who covers the Saints for ESPN. Mike, from a big-picture perspective, because this season is interesting, the NFC East plays the NFC South, and when you look at both of these divisions, with the exception of Carolina winning three straight NFC South titles, it's really been a merry-go-round. Atlanta, New Orleans has Mm -hmm. won the championship for the NFC South. The East has not had back-to-back winners since the Eagles won four in a row in the early 2000s. I consider the NFC South one of the deepest divisions in football. What do you make of this division this year and how the balance could very well hurt the division or perhaps make it even tougher? Yeah, I couldn't uh, couldn't agree with you more on that. And Look, one of these years Tampa Bay is going to figure it out too because they've been a pretty talented young team that, that seems to always take kind of a step forward and then a step back. But they're not an easy out in this division either. It's a, it's a division where all four teams could easily go 8-8 eight and eight or better. Um, and, and the Saints, Falcons, and Panthers all made the playoffs last year. Obviously, the, the Panthers and Falcons recently went to Super Bowls. I don't think they're going away. Obviously, uh, I think Atlanta maybe had a little bit of a Super Bowl hangover season last year, but could be right there competing for the title again this year. So you're right, and I, I think even the bigger thing, people obviously ask me if this is a Super Bowl year for the Saints, and I'd say yes. But I know everybody who covers the Vikings would say the same thing, and the Eagles, and the Packers. And um, I I know I'm leaving out another team. Uh, Wait, oh, the Rams. Everybody thinks it's a year for the Rams. Uh, You know, I don't think the Cowboys are going to stay down. And, you know, the Giants just won 12 games a couple years ago, and the Seahawks aren't going to go away. I mean, the NFC is like the uh, Western Conference in the NBA right now. Hey, last question before we let you go, Mike. Kenny Vaccaro still out there as one of the higher-profile free agents who has yet to sign anywhere. I don't necessarily think he's going back to the Saints, although maybe you'll tell me otherwise. Do you have any hints 
as to where he might land. Again, he's one of those big names that's still floating around and yet to find a home. Yeah, that's a big surprise to me. And I, I think I've got the impression that the offers weren't what he hoped for the first time around, and he was still coming off a little bit of an injury, a, a groin injury after finishing last year in IR, and maybe decided to bet that, that he could find a better opportunity closer to training camp or, or when training camp starts out. Uh, but that is one of the bigger surprises to me, and obviously that happened to almost the entire position. It has, yeah. Um, he won't come back to the Saints because they they replaced him early on with, with what turned out to be one of the most expensive safety deals. They signed Kirk Coleman from the yeah. Panthers to play a similar role, and they probably thought he was going to come a little cheaper. And in the end, uh, Coleman probably ended up being more expensive. But, yeah, you know, what I wrote about with, with Vicaro when the Saints made it clear they were going to let him go is is just all the, un, you know, his career here was defined by unrealized potential, I think. At times, he did look like a pro bowler in first round pick, which, uh, but he battled some inconsistency. He battled a lot, a lot of injuries. So I think if he does find the right place, that is a guy that, that could still be a, sort of a late career breakout type of player. So I'm curious to see where he winds up to. I think that's a really good point. The safety market overall baffling what's occurred this offseason with so many veteran guys still out there. I think they were very surprised as well as their agents to describe the current circumstances. He's Mike Triplett. He covers the Saints for ESPN. Mike, greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks so much for joining us here on the program. Appreciate it, Mike. Enjoy the summer. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. You got it. Mike Triplett once again breaking down the New Orleans Saints, who the Giants will host in week four at MetLife Stadium. We also thank Rich Lord for joining us earlier in the program to break down the Texans. So we are moving along with our team previews, and we'll continue to do that leading up to the start of training camp here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, Giants.com. We're going to open up the phone lines for about the last 10 minutes of the program. So if you want to chime in on anything related to the two opponents we just discussed or anything with respect to the Giants, you give us a ring, 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter as well. Uh, one thing that I thought was very interesting about you know, what the Saints did, again, they did it last year. They went out and rebuilt the O-line. They went out and they got Kamara, although he was only a third-round pick. He wasn't a first-round pick. But they got their all-everything running back who was going to be a big part of the passing game, which, as I said to Mike, and I honestly, folks, don't think it's a stretch to say it, the Giants are going to follow a very similar blueprint to what the Saints did. And we saw how well it worked for them. And, oh, by the way, yeah, they do have an aging quarterback in New Orleans, too. So, it, it's to me, it just makes a whole lot of sense, you know, to look at the Giants and say, hey, you know, you guys, you're on the right track here. You know, you, you could really do something very significant with this offense. Eli Manning could very easily wind up having a Pro Bowl season this year. I would not at all be surprised. Well, I think the Vikings are another great example too, Paul. It, it's not just the Saints. Listen, it's a copycat league. You hear that phrase all the time, but the truth is there's validity behind that cliche. Minnesota, where Pat Shermer just came from, did the same thing the Saints did. They went out, they addressed the offensive line, they did it with the combination of the drafted free agency, they drafted Dalvin Cook, and then just like that, all of a sudden, Case Keenum is able to thrive as well as Sam Bradford before he went down with an injury, and it's the same thing. You're surrounding the quarterback with stability. You're protecting him. You're providing a balanced offense with the running game, and therefore, you're keeping your defense fresh. You're keeping them off the field. Th this is not rocket science. No. I I'm not saying it's easy. Here, the difference is, though, Minnesota and New Orleans, not only did they make those changes, Paul, but the execution 
was also consistent. That's the no other question. ingredient. Listen, we could go over everybody on the roster. We could play the paper game all you want, and I could tell you this guy looks great. That guy's a mm-hmm. perfect fit. If the execution's nowhere near where the level of the player is and how he looks on paper, it doesn't mean anything. The point being, though, that the Giants of the previous few seasons did not follow that blueprint. That's fair. And we saw what happened. So now they did even follow though, it. Even though they had one really good playoff season, that turned out to be an outliner when you look at the Giants' last handful of seasons. So now they've gone to a blueprint which, to me, seems much more sound. Whereas the previous game plan was more drafting some guys, hoping they turn the corner and develop, and seeing if that comes to fruition, as opposed to investing a lot of money in the line, which is exactly what they went out, and they did this offseason. Now, they bolstered and revamped the defense, the Giants, but then what happened is when the defense gets banged up, and you don't address the offensive line, then what's making up for the other issue on the opposite side of the ball? More than anything else, it's about reestablishing the running game. Because when you reestablish a running game, by definition, you have to improve the offensive line. By definition. Goes hand in hand. That goes hand in hand. So when you say the Giants are trying to rebuild their running game, that in itself includes a whole bunch of things which enhance the overall picture. And that's really what the Saints did. And when you talk about running game, you're talking about the power run game, the short yardage run game, the four-minute offense, but you're also talking about the short dump-off passes that become the pseudo-runs, which is how Kamara really made his mark on the league. Absolutely. I mean, he was just as big as a receiver in terms of their offense. He catch 80 passes last year. As he was, yeah, him and McCaffrey were basically mirror images of one another. Yes. And so many people have said Barkley is going to kind of fit into that mold for the Giants this season, which is why I think they're a better example than necessarily Minnesota, even though Schirmer came from Minnesota. You know, Cook got hurt early. McKinnon then stepped in, but... Not the, not the, not, yeah, but not the same kind of Kamara style necessarily. That personnel people, was different. Yes. Yeah. Well, and here's the other thing I'll add to that, and, and this is why personally I would be very surprised if Barkley gets into that 80 reception ballpark. I'm still thinking it's going to be about 55, 60. I'm very much with you, and the reason being is <laughs> they've got other guys to catch the bingo. ball. <laughs> you hit it right on the nose, and, and but that's the difference between what the Saints. And the Panthers did not. See, Carolina, remember, trades Kelvin Benjamin to Buffalo, their number one wide receiver. So McCaffrey really becomes, by default, the number two offensive weapon, even in the receiving corner. The Saints, listen, we just heard from Mike Triplett. He's talking about as great as the offense is, they don't necessarily know what they have after Michael Thomas. That's the difference in the Vikings. The Vikings have Diggs. They have Thielen. They have Rudolph. They've got other weapons So that's why they didn't have to rely so much on the running backs dumping them off. And I see the Giants similar to that. That's how I see it. That is true. That is true. Although, again, I think Kamara and Barkley compare – rather favorably, and there's a lot of similarities between them, skill set-wise, I do think that the overall offense, even though the philosophy is coming from what I see the Saints having employed, there's no question there's going to be a lot of Minnesota in this. Shermer obviously coming from there, and them having the plethora of targets that the Giants can also put on the field. All right, let's open up the phone lines, try to squeeze in a call or two before we wrap things up. 201-939-4513. Julian is in Florida. Julian, what's happening? Hey, Lance. Hey, Paul. How you guys doing? Hi. Doing well, Julian. What do you got for us? Not much. Um, 
I always seem like I, I call in. Uh, I think Paul remembers this from a couple weeks back. Uh, Lance, you weren't on. I think it was John Schmelk. But, uh, Paul, you remember how I told you I uh, ran into uh, Rock Cockrell at a, at a, at a yeah. breakfast diner? Yeah. yeah. Um, I didn't get to finish that, that phone call, but pretty much I'll, I know you guys are getting off the air soon. So pretty much what he had told me is that he, he had never experienced anything like being in a, in a Giants locker room. Obviously, he went to Carol. Was it Carolina he went to? Yeah, he signed a pretty nice deal down there, too. Yeah. Uh, the numbers much- were a little bit out of control, I think, for, for a guy of his resume. But I wish him well. He's a good guy, and, and he played well. He did. Key right, contributor. Right. He, he uh he pretty much told me, yeah, you know, the only reason why I left was because there was a nice, nice chunk of money being sent his way. But uh, it was funny how, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a really big Giants fan. So when I get the chance to talk to these guys, I just love to pick their brains. Um, and so here I'm calling you about another guy I ran into just over the weekend on 4th of July. Uh, I live out here in Fort Lauderdale, and I went out to the to, – I'm not going to put it out there, but I went to a place, and this big dude walks in, looks like a receiver, and it was Rashad Jennings. And, um, you know, he was uh, – I mean, I'm sorry, but he looks like he's built like a receiver in person more than a, <laughs> than a running back. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, I, I didn't approach him. You know, I know these guys like to go and have a good time. They don't want to be approached. But, you know, I just walked by him. He was standing there by himself. I said, hey, man, uh, you know, I'm a big Giants fan. I just want to say respect and everything. And he was like, oh, cool, man. You know, that's awesome. You want a picture? Like, he was just such a cool guy. He's a very like, cool guy. He's a very nice guy. I mean, like, literally, like, you run into football players. I've met Chad Ochocinco. I've met guys like that, and they're just the biggest you-know-what. But this guy was just so, so cool, had a conversation with me. I picked his brain for about 20 minutes about the Giants, the, 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 the locker room and everything. And, you know, he even admitted I wasn't the best back, but I definitely bought, brought a presence to that locker room as far as veteran leadership and and you know positivity and everything like that and he feels that that was the best thing about the Giants 2016 season um when we won uh 13 games I believe and um 11 11 yeah 11 games I'm sorry guys and uh you know he was saying like that's what that's what we need and and uh you know and, and he feels very confident about this year and and whatnot but my question is leading to who do you think is in that locker room now as far as that leadership presence, because he's right, right? I mean, you got to have well, that positive guy. It's funny you bring him up because, in a way, Jonathan Stewart has been brought here to kind of, I don't want to say be a pseudo Rashad Jennings, but the truth of the matter is he's a little bit more of a power short yardage back who also has shown class over on class upon class upon class uh, during his time in Carolina. The guy's a pro's pro commands respect and with a lot of young players in that locker room he is going to be one of the big brothers i think you know when push comes to shove and the season starts i don't think there's much doubt about that hey he was in carolina with dave gettleman he helped build up that culture i mean stewart spent his entire career in carolina so he was a big fabric as part of the identity of the carolina panthers so i think he's one guy that comes to mind and i think on defense you know another guy alec ogletree i think his arrival on the defensive side, is going to probably have the same type of impact as Jonathan Stewart, another veteran guy who came from a team that was coming off a career franchise year after what they were able to accomplish, and now he hopes to have the significant impact with the Giants. And I'm going to add one other guy to that list. I think that Nate Solder has already proven that he is a quiet leader, but nonetheless a guy who sets examples. Because when you come from New England, 
and you've operated under Bill Belichick for all of those years, and you've gotten all those Super Bowl appearances and all those championship rings on your fingers, my goodness, people will listen to you. Yeah, I, right. I think that's a big part of the equation. I agree. That is that is a very I, you know I didn't even think about Jonathan Stewart, but now that you lay it out there, wow, that's like almost the most perfect example. And I was going to ask, what what do you think about the defensive side? And I guess Ogletree would be the guy, huh? Yeah, he to me is somebody that I think has been in a locker room already with a bunch of veterans. If you look at the defensive makeup of the Rams over the last few seasons. He's overcome injuries in his career. So, I mean, you have that side of things, which he could help mentor some of the other younger players that have dealt with injuries. Now, that's not to say that the Giants don't have other veterans on defense. I mean, Olivier Vernon is obviously a presence in the locker room. Well, he room. was just, asking for newcomers, though. Yeah, who might no, be and able that's why I, I think Ogletree, to me, fits yeah. that bill. He's a yeah. new arrival. Absolutely. I, I think that, you know, if you speak to other players who play with him on the Rams, they have nothing but good things to say. And that's a big reason also why Dave Gettleman traded for him. He wasn't a free agent, so they gave up assets for him, draft picks, and the mm-hmm. reason being is solid defensive player, but also somebody that will help change the culture of the locker room. And I'll tell you something. I wouldn't be surprised if William Gay does some of that too. It's another be- good one. Because between his time in Pittsburgh and in Arizona, we know that the Giants assistant coaches, they've got experience with him, and there is a reason why he was brought here. It wasn't just to compete for a job on the field. He's also one of those pros pro kind of guys. Right. And I guess it was safe to say that Beckham would be now the new leader of the receivers, right? I mean, last year, I guess we could have put that on Marshall being the vet, but is Beckham now officially our vet? Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I, I think that Odell Beckham Jr., in my mind, can inspire people by the feats that he performs on the field and by the way he prepares and gets ready to go out there and battle. I don't know that Odell Beckham is a leader in the truest sense of that he's going to tell people what to do or that he's going to rah-rah people up because he is so volcanic in terms of his own intensity to get himself maximized at every snap. I think, you know, you can be inspired by that. It's interesting. We had a guy yesterday say he was a, a former military man who said, I would make Odell Beckham Jr. one of the team captains because the responsibility of being a captain will kind of polish out his rough edges. And who wants to win more than Odell Beckham Jr.? It's it's a very interesting thought. I don't know that I'd go there, but it's an interesting thought to contemplate. And I, I would think I would think if he were voted captain, co captain by, by the, the team, I would think he would take it extremely seriously because he takes everything seriously. This guy hates to lose, he hates to fail. And I suspect if they did give him those stripes, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if he reacted in a very favorable way. And listen, Julian, we appreciate the phone call. Thank you. The one thing that I will add, actually, if you look at the wide receiving core, they're not necessarily household names, but Cody Latimer and Russell Shepard obviously have a lot of experience. It would not surprise me if those two guys actually, if they make the team, depending on how the depth chart breaks down, that they actually perhaps provide a vocal presence and a mentorship role within that receiving core. Well, I'll tell you what, we also know that Sterling Shepard has a tremendous amount of pride. Well, he's another guy that you can throw into the Tremendous pride. Yeah. This is not a guy who takes his job very lightly at all. You know, so... You know, again, we've given you a list of guys. I will tell you this. I do think it's going to be a much better locker room this year. 
than 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 some of the, the well, there's stuff a lot of turnover that's, that's, in the locker room that splintered the team so, last season. Yeah. I mean, by default, when you have new faces in, you figure clearly the dynamics in the locker room are going to change. All right, that is going to wrap up Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Once again, we want to thank Rich Lord and Mike Triplett for breaking down the Texans and the Saints, respectively. We'll continue our preview with upcoming opponents tomorrow. Tomorrow, the Carolina Panthers. There you go. Speaking of the devil, we were talking about Carolina <laughs> from a lot of different angles, so we'll continue to break down the NFC South. Stay tuned for that. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.